Hi, swimmers, and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk. Today's guest is marathon swimmer and Pacific Swim Company co-owner and boat pilot, Sylvia Laycock. It was really interesting getting Sylvia's perspective, advice, and expertise on how to support an athlete on a marathon swim. If you have accomplished one or you're about to try one, you will enjoy hearing all about it from Sylvia. Enjoy. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I know you're based in San Francisco. Where do you live in the San Francisco area? I'm uh, just about 10 minutes north of the Golden Gate Bridge in a town called Mill Valley. Lovely. And did you manage to get a swim in today or during the week at all? Uh, I piloted, well, we had, I was, I've been piloting all week. So, uh, this week, uh, this morning I had an Alcatraz swim. So took five people, uh, I believe it was all their first Alcatraz swims. Uh, they're quite delighted. It was a kind of a beautiful sunny day. Uh, earlier this week we had through the Northern California open water swimming association, we had, uh, one of our marathon, actually two marathon swims. So we had Erica Glebe. Um, who did her second round trip Angel Island, which is a 10-mile marathon swim in the San Francisco Bay. And that swim started at 2 a.m. It's the second time she's done it. And she finished that in 6.19.01. And the day before that, we had one of the the same Northern California Open Water Swimming Association, had a 10K. Um, Maya Murhigi went out and uh, she was eight seconds shy of the ladies' record. Wow. Uh, and she's 13. Oh my gosh. She's really, <laughs> wow. I mean, it's just, yeah. So, and I think, um, I, I had other swims earlier this week and I couldn't even tell you right now what they were, but that's kind of in the next, I can tell you what's coming up. We have a lot of things coming <laughs> I up. Suppose we, should, we, should back, we should backtrack for a second and, and just let all our listeners know that you're the co-owner of, um, uh, Pacific Open Water Swim Company, and yes. you pilot people's swims. So you you obviously do them mainly in San Francisco Bay Area. Um, do you do them anywhere else in the U.S.? Or yeah, so we um, we um, are mainly in San Francisco, but we do spend about seven weeks up at Lake Tahoe, which is um, at altitude. It's about sixty five hundred. Uh, feet above sea level. And it is a beautiful alpine lake. And we run three marathon swims up there through Lake Tahoe Open Water Swimming Association, uh, 10.6, 12-mile, and a 21.3-mile. And so we will have about seven weeks of swims up there in July and August. And then we're back here for the, the rest of the year. And we swim 365 days a year. Wow. How do you logistically, do you, you have a boat up there or you you take all your equipment up there to Lake Tahoe? Uh, used to, it used to be everything that, you know, went up and now we have, uh, we have boats here in San Francisco that are, they're really specifically for saltwater, for seawater. Um, yep. they really are for our needs in the Bay, which are slightly different than our needs on Lake Tahoe and Lake Tahoe. Those are mainly their bigger lake boats, um, you know, with a kitchen galley ahead kind of, because we're doing these swims that can go, you know, 14 or 16 hours, um, right few more people on board, very large swim platforms, easy to feed from, and just a different, a slightly different build of vessel. So um, everything is here with us. Um, yep. And then prior to the season commencing in Tahoe, we, we're going through all of our engine checks right now. 
uh, pulling swapping engines, doing all of the maintenance work that's required on a boat. And you know, you know what boat stands for, right? No. Bust out another thousand. Right. (laughs) Everybody thinks it's like, oh, just get a boat and swim. No, it's, 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 (laughs) it it is, um, you know, especially for the number of hours we put on the vessels. Um, Yeah. So right now they're going through all of their safety checks, mechanical checks, uh, every, you know, stem to stern, and they'll be ready to go to Tahoe for the season. And while that's happening, we're of course still doing swims in the bay in the morning and night. So. Right. And how many boats do you have in the fleet um, in the bay? Um, we have two that we use regularly. We have a third we can put in most of the time. Um, you know, I don't like, I, I, there are enough big events where they'll do, um, like the South end rowing club is fabulous. They'll do I've been a member there for 18 years. Um, they'll have their Alcatraz swim invitational with like 800 people. Um, I don't like running those events. I, I mean, I don't, that's not something we do. I don't do it like a 50 person event. I like, I like to know everybody's name. Yes. I like to know what their goals are. Um, we match people by speed. I like everybody to finish their swim. Um, and what I see in some of the big events and even events where there's only 20 or 30 swimmers is that the slower swimmers who are capable don't get a chance to finish because, the fast swimmers are going and the slower swimmers get picked up and repositioned. Um, I'm a slower swimmer and that I pissed me off. I pay my money. I want to swim. Just I, why? Because someone fast showed up today. Does that mean I don't get to swim? Yeah. So I'm a firm believer of safety first, um, swimmer comfort second, and everybody should enjoy and have the opportunity to finish their swim. So we primarily will do um, anything from a solo swim up to like, you know, maybe a 10 or 12 person swim, sometimes a little over that. Um, we just are very much into planning, safety. You know, I, like I said, I want everybody to enjoy their swim and I want everybody to get something out of their swim. And mainly what I want them to get is one, they know they can do it. Um, two, that they want to do it again. Um, and that they start maybe setting long, bigger goals for themselves. Yes. How many crew would you typically have on a boat when you do one of these swims? Um, it depends on the swim. A lot of times it's just, you know, um, myself, maybe a deckhand, maybe there's two of us on the boat. Um, if we're taking out 12 or 14 people, you know, we're, we're fielding maybe three boats, um, some with an assistant on, some not. It's just in the San, San Francisco Bay is pretty small. Um, in Tahoe, even though it's a really big lake, we don't have the same traffic, you know, big, large container ships that we have here. So up there, it's quite a bit different. Um, but we're still running, um, you know, up there, uh, licensed captain. So I'm a United States Coast Guard licensed master captain, right. um, which is required. If you're doing these types of swims, you must have a, a licensed captain if you're paying for it. Um, you know, we'll usually then have one crew and on the marathon swims, we need us, um, an observer from the association to observe the swim. Right. So you don't have a kayaker in the water with them as well? No, I don't. Um, I, I don't like the kayakers. I'm not, I don't, I shouldn't say I don't like kayakers. (laughs) I, what we tend to find, especially is that on a swim where you have like the, you know, the five to 700 person swims where they're basically, it's helpful to have the kayakers kind of on the edges 
helping funnel those in with then some motorized vessel supports to help maybe move people up if there's repositioning that needs to happen or somebody needs to get picked up because it's just not their day. Um, the kayaks are very helpful on that. On the smaller swims, they're actually a liability. Oftentimes the swim is going great and you have kayakers who are falling over. Now you've got to scoop a kayaker out of the water. You've got to deal with that. Well, the swim needs to continue because we're going to lose the tide. So what we found is that the kayakers are actually quite a large liability. Um, they're a liability on Lake Tahoe. We don't. I, my theory is if we don't um, need them on the English Channel, I don't need them on Lake Tahoe. That's a fair point. <laughs> And, you know, yeah. and someone will say, oh, Catalina. I'm like, Catalina is a different story. They're using extremely large dive boats. So yeah. it's more challenging for a swimmer to swim next to that size of a vessel. So it makes sense on that swim, that body of water, given the vessel that's being used to use a kayaker. But yeah. in the San Francisco Bay, it, it pretty much makes no difference. It, it, it makes no sense. It's liability. So when someone wants to do a swim with you, do you um, take them for training before they do that swim or is that something they do separately? What? How does that all work? It depends. Well, on just like a, an adventure swim or a marathon swim. So say say I wanted to come over and, and swim out to Angel Island. Would I do some training swims with you first to get the lay of the land or would I just book in for my swim in a few weeks and I'm doing my own training up until then? Most of the time when they're the, like an adventure swim, something that's, you know, an hour to two hours, most of the people who are contacting for us have some, they have a, a background of open water swimming. This isn't their first foray into open water swimming. You know, we're going to ask a question like, Hey, what's your pace? So what's your 100 meter pace or what's your 100 yard pace? So in case we're doing, we're putting you in a small group with other people to swim with, we're putting you in with people of similar pace. Yeah, because we don't want to have um, well, in terms of yards, you know, I, I don't want to have somebody who swims a 105, 100 on a swim with someone who's swimming a 230, 100 because yep. the swim gets so stretched out. And, and then people aren't really getting their swim in. Yes. So what we do is we'll group by pace. Um, but if somebody's coming over and they're like, hey, I'm going to be in town. Um, we often get this. I'm going to be in town on Friday. What can, can I swim Alcatraz? No, it's really not a good Alcatraz day tide wise. But how long would you like to be in the water? Yeah. Oh, you know, like an hour. Okay, great. Here are some options for you. And we'll lay out options of what does work for, say, a morning swim based on what the tides are doing. Right. Um, so most people have a background and what they what you're really there for is um, safety support, you know, safety support, navigation, some motivational encouragement, and kind of sometimes just a friendly face because they've gotten off the plane, you know, all by themselves. <laughs> But, um, but for the longer swims, we do have people who are, um, what we say going up the ladder. So they've started with a one mile. Yeah. They're kind of, Oh, I like that. Yeah. Two mile swim. And then they might do a two and a half hour swim. And then they're like, well, how's, what's that? How does that 10 K work? Oh yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk to you about that 10 K. Um, and on things like that, we'll often, um, either connect people with a stroke coach. So I know you've talked to Suzanne Heimbone in the past. Yeah. Um, there's people like Kelly Gentry, Susie Dodds, uh, Ahili Osborne. We have a number of really good stroke coaches and masters. We have great um, master swimming here. Yes. So often we'll send people to masters and say, listen, leverage that coach on deck. They have decades of experience helping people perfect their stroke and become more efficient. 
we want them to be doing work in the pool, not just doing garbage yardage in open water. Yes. So we'll often help craft a plan of what a training plan looks like for six months to get them to an open water goal. But it has a heavy component of going to masters, doing the work in the pool. Um, Maybe they're coming out and doing some training swims with us, but they're also in conjunction with other people who are doing training swims. So it's not like a whole solo endeavor. Yeah. And when you've got these longer swims, um, where, how do we, how do you sort of deal with the feeds off the boats? What, what do you sort of encourage them to have? Oh, feeds are awesome. Feeds are like my favorite subject. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about feeds, them. <laughs> feeds are like, because it, it used to be, you, you know, when I started swimming like 18 years ago, you know, I'd see these people, oh, they're doing an English channel or they're this. I'm like, oh, and the way it was kind of, talked about was you do it my way or you'll fail. Right. And it was always this, like the way I feed is the only way to feed. The way I train is the only way to train. And I kind of am like, well, my stomach's not like your stomach. And some people are gluten free and some people are lactose intolerant and some people, everybody's different and everybody behaves differently. So my whole thing on feeds is it is not a religion. It is a big toolbox and there are a lot of tools in that toolbox and you need to sort out what works for you over the length of the swim or the duration of the swim you're trying to do and realize that as you change and you age, what you can feed on may change or you might just get sick of it and change to something else. But, and that's okay. Yep. So feeds, I always tell people, we always like to say um, in the winter when it's colder, so it's like usually, you know, when it's under 10C or 9C here, we're always in, um, you know, feed every 30 minutes. Right. When we go into the marathon swims, it's usually feed at the first 45 and then every 30 thereafter. Your first feed should be four to five ounces of liquid, something like a Ucan, CarboPro, Perpetuum. On the first feed, we usually tell people to do four to five ounces of a liquid. And that can be anything from uh, Ucan, Perpetuum, CarboPro, some people um, hot milky tea with some sugar or honey. Uh, The second, the alternating feeds should be four to five ounces plus a bite of something. And I encourage not a crumbly cookie because you don't want to inhale the crumbs. Um, something like a soft, like a brownie bite or um, some people like, uh, I don't know if you have them there. They're like toddler pouches of like applesauce or oh, yeah. fruit. Um, sometimes people like cling peaches. They're just, yep. you know, those peaches in a syrup because they slide down. There's not a lot of chewing. So you can send this all out on the line, attach, you know, the bottle and a little container attached to a line. Um, the swimmer can just throw back and put in the, the peaches, drink down their drink, drop it, just drop everything. And we halt, we'll pull it back in on the line. Yes. And then the next 30 minutes, we're just going to throw them out a bottle. So we alternate a liquid feed and a, with a liquid solid. And I always tell people like, don't try and get all fancy. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you, if it's not something you're eating on a regular basis, your stomach doesn't know what to do with it. So either test your feeds on a regular basis, 
Um, know that you like how it tastes. That's why um, the gel, like the gels and the goos. Yeah. They're great for cyclists and runners because you have, you have the time to drink all of the liquid, the yes. like 16 ounces you need. But in, in marathon swimming, you're not drinking 16 ounces to get that to break down in the stomach. So yeah. An occasional goo or gel, but not every feed. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's, that's good. And, and, and that may not work for everybody, but that's, we also tell people to test, which is eat dinner, go to bed, wake up. And even if you're just going to work, take a day for eight hours where you're practicing, you're doing nothing but eating what you would eat on your feet and see how you feel. Yeah. Yeah, some some of the um, marathon swimmers I've spoken to have been have talked about Coke and coffee and things like that in their English Channel swims. So it's interesting how everyone has a different sort of thing that they like to to have along the way. We do take uh, so I tell you, especially in well, we do it here too, but especially in Tahoe at altitude, um, we'll take Coke, shake it up, get the bubbles out, and you know, get the gas out, shake it up, get the gas out. We'll do that with ginger ale and Coke. Yep. And basically that something that we use if someone's just feeling you know, a little off, that usually is a yep. nice shot of familiarity. Yeah. Do many people get seasick on these swims? No, not in the bay, not in San Francisco Bay. I don't yep. have um we it's not that they get seasick. Every once in a while what happens is their feeds back up. So all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I've had too much. I'm on hour six. I just can't take another feed. And I, at the same time, I can't digest this feed. So they'll yeah. throw up. Um, in Tahoe, it is l- definitely not about the, like the water activity, the water, you know, say turbulence or texture, um, excuse me, but it's the altitude. And right. we have people who between, uh, the altitude and the darkness get vertigo and it's the vertical it's the vertigo will make them vomit right so lake tahoe is very dark is it you can't see well the the 21 mile swim we start at night yeah we start in the evening because we're trying to avoid the afternoon wind and thunderstorms right uh the shorter courses the 10.6 mile and the 12 mile we usually start those at about 4 30 in the morning so you're going to swim an hour and a half an hour or so in darkness before you get gray light but that length swim at altitude is what can really get people yeah yeah Yeah. The, the lake is so big right you don't have any lights on any horizon it's right. just black and it's just the boat. So it's, that right. can be unsettling for people. Yeah. But I assume you have a big spotlight light that goes out into the water so they can see. Um, no, because the spotlight is actually very blinding. So we actually work with a very low level muted lighting. Right. Um, because what happens is when you're swimming and it is so dark, if you have a really bright light, it actually becomes like, think of like a strobe light. Every time you turn your head to breathe, you're catching that glimpse. So we're actually very, we have redone all of our boats up there and our lighting to go with a very muted yellowed light instead of a blue white light. Right. Okay. Interesting. It, yeah. it, it has made the sw- It's people are like, wow, it's just so comfortable. And I don't know what it is. I'm like, it's the light. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just, it's, but you know what? It's the little things. Yep. 
the little things do add up and make a difference. So up there, it's like the same thing. Number one is swimmer safety. Yep. Number two is swimmer comfort. If the swimmer is comfortable and they can stay in their zone and keep swimming and they're not freaked out about where's the boat? Am I safe? Am I, you know, they're not thinking about anything else because you've taken care of everything else. All they have to do is swim. Yeah. And that's a big enough job, but our job is to make it so that they get to focus on one thing and one thing only, and that is their swim. We take care of everything else. So I think that's a lovely way to approach the swim so that they know that that's all taken care of and they can just have their mindset on the swim. That's what they've trained for. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't train to come up and tell me how to navigate. Yep. Or tell me how that I, you know, how to be safe. And and I do see that. I have seen that with other pilots where it's like the swimmer's going, I had no idea where, like, wh- th- there was no one, you know, like I said, I will show you everything and I'll do everything yep. in the actions to show you we are safe. Yes. And that we are putting you on the best course possible for you and supporting you as a swimmer in the water. And I just like, I, I always feel like when we do that, that helps the swimmer just settle into their swim. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And do most of the swimmers that you take out or obviously over the winter months use wetsuits? No, I only have one swimmer this year. So all of the swim, all of the marathon. So the, the marathon swims are all skin. Swimsuit cap and goggles. That's it. No neoprene, no um, technical gadgets, no Garmin, no tempo trainers, none of these fancy measurement goggles to tell you like, no, 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 it, no, that's just not how it's working. Um, that, that's not a marathon swim for us. That's, that's not, that's not by the rules. Um, so of all the marathon swimmers we have this year, there was one, two people who used wetsuits over the course of the winter. They've now shed the wetsuits. They're back into skin swimming. Right. Um, In terms of our adventure swims in the San Francisco Bay, I do not care. Yep. I want you to be safe. I want you to be happy. I want you to be comfortable. If you are safe, happy, and comfortable in a wetsuit, God love you. Swim. Yeah. Like, are, are you enjoying yourself, and do you want to come do it again? Yeah. If the answer is yes, great. If my job is not to shame or goad somebody in or out of a wetsuit. Yeah, no, that's that's good to know. And what kind of sea life do you come across in that uh, San Francisco Bay? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> um, we have whales in the spring, which are quite lovely. Oh, that's and nice. We have humpback whales and gray whales. and. Yeah. Um, it makes my job really hard because I'm busy piloting a swim or taking people to the start of a swim or coming back. And maybe they've just had this fabulous swim and they're talking about how great their swim was. And then they go, Oh, but we didn't see a whale. Oh, and I'm like, Oh, I can't make the whale appear. <laughs> um, and then other times we're coming, we're trying to get someplace um, because we need to get the swim started. And then we're like, a whale and everybody wants to stop. We have to look at the whale and I'm like, okay, we got to get going. We got to get, so, um, no, we have whales. Uh, we have the whales in the, in the late spring and sometimes in the fall. Um, we have harbor porpoises, which are delightful. They're like stubby little dolphins. Um, we have seals. And in fact, we saw some seal pups this morning. They look like little loaves of bread. 
Um, they're super <laughs> cute. We have sea lions who they are just like, they're just big. Um, they're yeah. not that in, they're kind of like, I think they just kind of talk to each other and go, you people are weird. Um, <laughs> they keep their, yeah, they keep their distance. Um, we have leopard sharks, which are about maybe a meter and a half long and wow. skinny little rats. And they jump and twirl up out of the, the water. They jump about six to eight feet out of the water and twirl around. <laughs> so that can be disturbing if you're the swimmer. You're like, cool. what, what was that? <laughs> um, but they have like, they're, they're not, they're, they're harmless. Um, Many jellyfish. We get jellies every once in a while, but we just don't have the jellies like you do. Um, yeah. We have, we have like little, like gnat jellyfish. They're like stupid little tiny things that feel like a, a mozzie bite and yeah. they're just annoying. And every one, every once in a while we'll get a bigger jellyfish, but they have short tentacles. So unless you like reach up underneath go, to go looking for something, it's, you know, they're just like, it's like sticking your hand in a soggy wet mess. Yes. Do the swimmers that you have um, swim with a visibility float behind them or? Um, more and more are. So a yeah. lot of people are swimming with toe floats. Some who I never thought would swim with a toe float. We don't require them. Yeah. Um, just I'm not always comfortable swimming with one. It it bugs me. Yeah. Um, I'll wear it if I need to. If it's windy, it's it's like impossible. It's better to take it off than, you know, for just, and like I said, we I'm on a constant count of swimmers. I know where every swimmer is and can hear if someone's stopping and seeing the back out of the back of my head. It's like, yeah, I know where they are. Um, A lot of people are liking the toe floats and wearing them. And if they want to wear them, that's great. Can't wear it on a marathon swim. Um, But um, yeah, people are liking them. And we require um, either bright orange or bright yellow caps because in the San Francisco Bay and Lake Tahoe, that's, any other color, you know, white, black, navy, you're just even a green, you're just a speed bump at that point. You're not visible. Yes. Yeah. I also wanted to have a chat about how you came to open water swimming. So a bit more personal. How no, did you-, you have good swimmers. You have really good swimmers on your podcast. Like you had Suzanne. <laughs> Tell me about how you first um, got introduced to it and why you sort of got into it. It was a very big misunderstanding. <laughs> was it? <laughs> yes, it was a bi- it was a big misunderstanding. This was not supposed to happen. Right. Okay, tell us about that. Um so I had had my second child. So this was like 18 some years ago. Yeah. And I remember sitting there in the middle of the bed like 2 weeks after he was born just rocking back and forth and my head's exploding and I'm thinking I, I, this is wrong. Like what, this is, my life is, this is terrible. I should be happy. And this is terrible. You're just feeling like awful. And I remember going to the doctor, you know, for one of my whatever wellness checks. And he said, Oh, well, yeah, it's the baby blues. It, you know, it's normal. I'll give you two choices. You can either go on antidepressants or you can, um, you need to find a physical activity that will get you out of the house every day that gets kind of your endorphins up, serotonin levels, you know, um, but it needs to have a goal attached to it with a timeline. Right. Okay, good. Yep. So you work towards that. It gets you out every day. You're working towards a goal and it's not something with the baby and with the kids and the family. I'm like, okay. He's like, or you can do both. I'm like, oh, and there's nothing wrong with antidepressants at all. I'm like, well, 
I'm going to try, I'm going to try this other route first and then I'm going to go the antidepressant route. If I, you know, kind of, it was just, let's try this. Yes. So it was all stoked. And I thought driving home and I'm thinking, you know, those people who swim from Alcatraz, like those people seem really cool. I want to be one of those people. That sounds good. Yes. So I went to my health club and I'm like, I, well, I didn't know how to swim. So this was kind of the first issue. So I go to the local health club. I'm like, you have a pool. I would like a swim lesson. And this lovely woman named Monique gave me my very first swim lesson. And my first, it took me like almost three minutes to get from one end of the pool to the other. It looked, it was controlled drowning. It was just (laughs) pathetic. Like, thank God it was a shallow pool. Um, But I worked on it and probably, I think it was about eight weeks later, Uh I did a sprint triathlon because I had a bike, even though I had like don't like running and I don't like biking and I don't like, you know, I was like, okay, but I had to do the sprint. Yeah. And you know, I bought a wetsuit and then that there was an Alcatraz swim that was kind of like, oh, I can do that. And I signed. So I go back and this whole time my doctor's like, are you, yeah, I, I've got something I'm working on and I'm feeling better. Thank you. So he's like, finally, he goes, so what'd you do? Did I go, I swam from Alcatraz. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were a swimmer. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't, I didn't know how to swim. And he was like, <laughs> okay, I meant do like a walk five, like do a 5k walk or do like a 10k walk or like, I, and I was like, you need to be more specific when you give these instructions. Like, this is like, And then I decided that I hated gravity. And so running was never going to happen. Cycling was probably best not to have me on the road. And I stuck with the swimming and I liked the swimmers. So that's how I fell into. And it, I think I lasted in the wetsuit about, about six months. And then I just decided I'm, I'm ultimately too lazy on the self-care front to like be responsible for washing a wetsuit. So it doesn't stink and remembering to bring it. And then that was the end of that. So, yeah. (laughs) So how, how long after you first got into it and learned to swim and did Alcatraz, did you do your first, uh, was the English channel the first one you did or the Catalina channel? No, I did an English channel relay. Um, right. Prior to that, I did the swim across Great Salt Lake. So that was a nine mile swim. My And Susie Dodds goaded me into that. She's a longtime swimmer here in San Francisco Bay and she's a triple crown holder. Like just, she's a swim coach. She's probably one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Um, and she's just always helpful. And so she was like, we should do Salt Lake. We should do Salt Lake. So I did Salt Lake. Um, I came in dead last. (laughs) I was like, well, that took a long time. Um, And then I was on an English channel uh, women's relay team of five women. And we had a great time. Um, So how does the English channel relay work? How how far do you swim before the next swimmer jumps in? One hour. So it's by time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's one hour rotations. Um, Yeah. And we had a great time. It was, you know, five ladies from the club. We just all like, this is fun. Yeah. Um, and did that. And I think at that point I was like, hmm, I could probably do a longer swim. Yeah. And then somehow in there I got stuck in my head. Well, I could probably do Catalina. Like, cause that's yeah. close. Like, yes. it doesn't matter. It's the same distance somehow. Like, oh, it was closer. It was going to make it easier. That was just so. Um, so I trained for Catalina and I didn't tell anybody I was training for it aside from maybe four or five people. 
So yeah. I was just constantly swimming and everybody, everybody would see me and they would think that I was just swimming with them for one hour. And they didn't know that I would go swim with somebody else for an hour and somebody else for an hour or like that I would go at night and swim three hours by myself. And then, you know, just, and I would show up and volunteer at the club. And so people always saw me hanging out at the club volunteering, but they didn't know I was really also swimming. And that was helpful because then I had no pressure that anybody was expecting me to do anything because they would have, they would not have expected the best um, just because yeah, I think human nature sometimes. So um, yeah, I ended up going to Catalina and right before I went to Catalina, two of my crew people were like, Oh yeah, we just can't do this. This doesn't work for us. We can't go. So I had to like find crew <laughs> like oh, no. two days before, um, <laughs> you know, just everything. And then I get down there. Um, I swam the first eight hours in a small craft advisory so that was yep. fun. That was very, I, but I didn't know it. I just thought, oh, this is just what the water is here. It was a long swim. I was over 16 and a half hours. Right. Um, I, I remember thinking, oh, this will take me 14. Yeah. And I'd written my feed plan for 14 hours. And I right. think on my feed plan at 14 and a half, it said, send out a blunt instrument Hour 15 was send out ammunition. Hour 15 and a half was send out a gun. They were just so you could see when they got to that part of the swim plan. I, Because I don't wear a watch. I don't know how long I've been in the water. But I was thinking, looking up, wow, they're looking really concerned. I hope everything's okay. They were like, oh, yeah, we were reading your swim plan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a hard, that was a really hard swim. That was yeah. a really hard swim. Um, how, many, how many miles is Catalina? Uh, it's 21. How much training were you doing in each week before you uh, you did that? So were you doing? I'd have to go back and look. There were, I can't remember what it was per week. I was doing something about upwards of 130 or 140 miles a month. Yep. I got up to, and that was divided between pool and open water. And what I would do for open water is, whatever my mile time is in the pool, if I swam six hours in the bay because of the currents, it's not always honest. I would kind of back factor and say, okay, probably did honest yards. I probably did that even though I may have covered more because of, you know, the current or the tides. It was just like, I'll, I'll be more conservative. So I wasn't kind of fooling myself. Yeah. And how, um, how much time in between the Catalina and English channels? Because you did the solo English channel as well. I had a solo attempt. A solo so, attempt. Okay. Yes. Very big, very big difference in one's life between an attempt and a completion. Right. <laughs> what, happened, what happened on the attempt? Um, so I did the, I did Catalina in 2014, I think. And I had my English channel attempt in 2016 and, um, I pretty much stuck the same training, but I was noticing things. I was a little, little older, you know, things change a little bit. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, after I would do a six hour on a Saturday and a six hour on Sunday, I couldn't bounce back and do my regular one hour, two hour on Monday. I kind of needed Monday and Tuesday off. It's just, yes socks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so most of my training was, was pretty consistent. Um, I was having some problems in my neck and my shoulders were just really tight. I was constantly going for cupping and acupuncture. Right. Um, 
And then I was like, yeah, I can do this. And I got there and I was just in the separation zone, five and a half hours. So I was having a, like, a really great time. Yeah. And all of a sudden I couldn't lift my left arm. Oh. And so I'm like trying to one arm it. And I'm like, okay, it'll come back. It'll come back. And my every time I tried to pick up my left arm, it was like hot searing pain in my neck. So they, my crew gave me about as as much pain medication as is safe. Um, and things just weren't getting any better. And I just, they were like, hon, that's it. Like you can't this, I know. And I was like, I remember the worst feeling is, is you're swimming to the boat and they have the ladder down and you're just staring at the ladder. And I just remember my my right hand reaching up to the ladder going, I don't want to do this. I don't no. want to touch this. I don't want to touch it. And you look up and they're looking at you and it's just the worst feeling. Yeah. It's the worst. But I suppose if you flip that around, not many people actually get to attempt to go and do the swim and you, di- and you did most of it. So that's a wonderful yeah, I did about half of it. <laughs> You know, they give you the half. I know, (laughs) and 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 they shouldn't, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't. They should. It is when your feet are clear of the water on in England, and then clear of the water in France. That is an English Channel swim, Um, and I respect that. I so that's why I said no. I had an attempt. Yeah, I had an attempt. And I was fortunate to be able to attempt it. Um, but I do get, I get crusty with people who are like, oh, I did an English channel. And I'm like, you did a relay. And you should be, why not? Like, don't take anything away from the soloists and yeah. be proud of your relay. I did an English channel relay. It was a five person relay. Yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah, you should be. But it's very different than walking around going, oh yeah, I swam the English channel. Be very careful. Words matter. They do. What kind of mindset do you have when you set out on a swim like that? Like what's your self-talk to yourself? Uh, Catalina is the one I remember the most. Yeah. Catalina, I remember being so calm on that swim. I think I scared myself. Yeah. Um, it was easy. Right. Finish this. Yep. It was, I remember saying to my crew when I walked, when I was jumping off the boat, I go, okay, let's finish this. That, that was it. Let's finish this. Yeah. What did you think about for the 16 hours in your mind? What was going through? Just counting strokes or singing songs? Oh, it, a lot of it, you, I think a lot, especially at night, you kind of just, you're in the zone. And I think it's kind of like you ever, when you're driving the car and you kind of all of a sudden go, Oh, you kind of like you've been driving the car, the car's fine. Everybody's safe, but you kind of have gone into like this dream state. Yep. I think when you're really in that sense of that state of flow, like scientific flow. Yep. Where your body knows what it's doing. And because you've trained your body to do this, your mind is comfortable enough to let your body do what it knows how to do. So your mind is like, I'm going to check out here for a little while. Yeah. And it doesn't get involved because your, your mind is the sneaky little bastard that will kill a swim. Yeah. And it is, I remember most of my Catalina night, I was just in this state of flow. 
Yeah. I, it was like when the sun came up, it was a whole reset and it was like, Oh, new swim. And I would keep swimming. And then there's always a part. Usually for me, it's around hour six, eight and 10 that I just get hangry. Like I can't get an, I'm, I'm kind of switching over chemically. Yep. Um, you know, and in that time it's, the thoughts are pretty easy, which is, yep. this is stupid. I need better friends. I need a new hobby. <laughs> you know, at that point, I'm going through all the hobbies I could be doing. The, my biggest joke is, you know, taxidermy looks good right now. Like so many things I could be doing that is not stupid like this. Um, <laughs> you know, and then something happens. You get a good feed. You're like, ooh, Pop-Tarts or ooh, a brownie. And then, you know, your life is good again. Yeah. Um. But I think the whole thing is, is if you're, if I'm just, if I'm not worrying about, is my crew worried? What's going on with the boat? Oh, they're fine. I'm fine. This is fine. I should just swim. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do the whole sing songs because I get frustrated. I can't remember the words or what the lyrics, you know, I can't remember this. And then did the, the, the record skip in my head, you know, like I don't, I no, it, I wish I could say I had like these wonderful, fascinating, you know, revelations that come to me while I'm swimming. I don't. It's no. I think what what you've been saying actually resonates with me. I've I find when I'm I mean I follow the black line, but I'll get I'll get into a set and start swimming, and I will forget the number I'm up to because my yeah. mind goes into that just steady sort of resting zone in a trance almost. I'm in a trance when I'm in there sometimes, not all the time, but. Exactly. I, it, that is your state of flow. Yeah, definitely. And my guess is your, your stroke rate and your efficiency of swimming is probably best when you're in your state of flow. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Cause you're, you're, cause like you've, your mind has checked out and your body knows what to do and your body's left to know what, it, you know, bodies are pretty smart that way. Yeah, they definitely are. Wow. <laughs> Sylvia, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us a perspective on both sides of um, marathon swimming. I, I love hearing about, you know, the the side we don't think about as much with the piloting and and helping swimmers so that they can get on with their swim. So that's um, <clears throat> excuse me, that's been a really good insight into um, how people can look into finding someone to help them with that. So such a, pleasure, such a pleasure having you on today and, and chatting with you and finding about your swimming journey as well. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so, so much. And I look for I will look forward to more guests there. I, I've loved all the interviews so far. So thank oh, you. Oh, fantastic. And hopefully you'll um, get some of our listeners coming and looking you up in San Francisco Bay. Oh, and then we'll then we're just gonna be chatting about you the whole time. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well take care. And um, we'll hope to catch up sometime soon. Thank you so much. Okay, then. Bye.